Hello everyone, all you seekers of the dark and welcome. My name is Michelle and this is my new podcast, Follow Me Into the Dark. In this podcast, I'm going to dive into a mix of true crime, serial killers, the paranormal, the strange, the weird, just about anything dark and creepy we feel like exploring. I love this stuff. Obviously, I get into this creepy, twisted, dark subject matter. You know, the stuff that just makes you think, what the fuck? What the actual fuck? I like probing into these topics, really trying to understand what makes people do the things they do. The mind is a fascinating thing, and the whole nature versus nurture is a question that is always front and center when we're hearing about some heinous crime. I'm very intrigued by what compels someone to do what they do, act how they act, carry out these acts of violence in manners that most humans wouldn't even have a passing thought about. And the topics of ghouls and ghosts, those are always fun subjects to talk about. Cults, they're just twisted and weird possessions are just scary as fuck. So we're just going to talk about all these creepy things, all those things that give you chills and goosebumps, the things that keep you up at night, give you nightmares. So what do you say, my new friends? Let's get started. Follow me into the dark. So to kick off the new podcast, we're going to talk about one of the most vile pieces of shit that you may or may not have even heard of even though this is one sick fuck. And I don't even know another way to describe him, other than he really is just a sick, sick piece of shit. Sick fuck. But he's not one that really is well known. He's not like one of the Ted Bundys and John Wayne Gacy's that have the big reputation. Even though he did claim nearly 30 lives. So today we're talking about a guy called the Candyman. The Candyman abducted, raped, tortured, and murdered at least 28 teen boys in Houston, Texas between the years of 1970 and 1973. At the time, he was considered to be one of the worst serial killers in history. So let's start with a little background on this sick fuck before we get too far. Born in Fort Wayne, Indiana on December 24th, 1939, which to me is very disturbing um, that such a vile monster was born on such a beautiful and holy day. But this day brought Dean Arnold Coral into the world. Dean Arnold Coral was the first child of Arnold Edwin Coral and Mary Robinson. Arnold and Mary weren't exactly happily married, um, from what it sounds like, from what I dug up. Um, it, it just said things like they argue a lot. Um, they argued often. Um, so who knows what that means? I argue often with my husband. And who knows? It's all relative. But anyways, this led to divorce when Coral was seven years old. So the same year that his parents got a divorce, he was diagnosed with rheumatic fever. So he has some physical ailments. His parents just got divorced. And he becomes very shy and withdrawn. He doesn't interact in sports. He doesn't socialize with other children much. So let's just pause for a second and think about that. So divorce, yeah, can increase the likelihood of a child developing behavior problems. Um, 
But you know, millions of kids survive divorce and they go on to thrive and live healthy, productive lives. And if every kid from a divorce went on to become sadistic asshats, then wow, this would be a really fucked up world. I'm a child of divorce and I think I'm just fine. So anyways, back to the story. Back to Dean Coral. Coral, he the difference here is he didn't seem to have the support system and the parental guidance um, that's needed for a child to deal with divorce. So, I mean, that's too bad. But still, in my opinion, no excuse to be a sick fuck. So, the physical issues kept him from really developing, developing those important social skills um, because he couldn't really play sports and get out there and run around and do much. And so, you know, those social skills are super, super important. I think that that's a huge key in any child's development. So when he's older and he's associating and socializing with these young boys, um, is it because he still had problems interacting with people his own age? Was he stuck in the past? Did he feel like he was a little boy? There's no evidence to suggest he was developmentally young. I just think he liked that he could manipulate and control these young men. So, anyways, continuing with his childhood. In 1950, his parents actually reconciled and remarried, only to divorce again three years later. So, Coral had a younger brother, Stanley, as well. And in the divorce, uh, Mary got custody of both the boys. And the father still had visitation. So at this time, Mary remarries a traveling clock salesman. Yes, a traveling clock salesman. So um, his name was Jake West, and they had a third child, Coral's half-sister, Joyce Janine. She was born August 10th, 1955. And they later moved to Vider, Texas. They opened a candy-making business there, and it started in their garage. Mary was making the candy, and uh, Dean and his brother would help run the candy-making machines, pack the candy, and the stepdad, uh, Jake, the traveling clock salesman, would take it along his clock-selling travels, and he would sell the candy. So growing up, Dean was um, noted as being a well-mannered young man, nothing out of the ordinary. He did okay in school. He played the trombone in the band. Um, but he was always a loner. Um, he also, he dated the occasional girl. Nothing significant, but he would date girls. But, you know, he did prefer dick, so that's probably why nothing ever really came of any of these girlfriends. Anyways, moving on. He graduated in 1958, and the family moved to Houston and opened up Pecan Price Candy Shop. Pecan or Pecan, depending on what part of the United States you're from. Um, is how you pronounce that. Um, the Two years later, though, the mom asked him to move back to Indiana with his widowed grandma to take care of her. And while he was there, interesting enough, he was dating a girl. And that girl actually proposed to him. She asked him to marry her. Um, he, of course, turned her down because, you know, again, he likes dick. Coral moved back home in 1962 when his mom and stepdad were having problems. Um, the stepdad actually brought it to Mary's attention that he thought that Dean was homosexual. Hey, honey, looks like your kid's gay. 
And she didn't want to hear that. She was in denial. She didn't want to hear it at all. Um, so Mary and Jake divorced in 1963. And his mom opened up her own candy shop called Coral Candy Shop. And she made Dean the vice president. And soon after, a young man, an employee of the candy shop, complained to Mary that Dean was making sexual advances towards him. Um, so she just fired him. So I kind of feel like Mary made it pretty clear that she didn't condone her son's um, sexual orientation. Um, she just fired that boy. And it kind of sent the message that it wouldn't be tolerated. So Dean wasn't really um, supported by his mother after she kind of realized that, yeah, he was gay. Um, so a year later, he was drafted into the Army. And there at Fort Polk, Louisiana, he actually had his first homosexual experience. He wasn't in the Army long, though. He was honorably discharged after he requested a hardship leave so that he could go back home and help his mom with the family business. Once he's back there helping mom, he once again makes sexual advances towards a young male employee at the candy shop. So at this point, Dean is just a gay, candy-making mama's boy. To our knowledge, he's not torturing or raping or killing anybody yet. But in 1968, the candy store was shut down and his mom and half-sister moved to Colorado. And from what I could find with the digging that I did, um, it, it appears that the mom opened up another candy shop there. Um, the information I found on his half-sister shows that she attended high school at Manitou Springs, Colorado, and helped her mom at the mom's candy shop, which was called West's Finest Candy Shop. Um... The sister passed away in 2016 in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It also appears that Dean's brother, Stanley, he changed his name from Coral to Coral. You know, that doesn't really sound much different. But the name Coral, C-O-R-L-L, -L, and he changed it to Coral, C-O-R-A-L. So he added an A, took out an L. Anyways, regardless, um, I don't blame him. I would change my name, too, if I was related to such a sick, disgusting piece of shit. So, they move away. Dean stays. He starts working as an electrician at this time. And in 1967 is when he met David Owen Brooks. Brooks was 12 at the time. And Dean, at this time, would have been 28. So they became friends. So Brooks was 12. Coral was 28. Just a side note. As a mother of a boy, I'm just going to say, if my 12-year-old son wanted to start hanging out with a 28-year-old man, mm, fuck no. No way in fucking hell. There's no scenario where I would allow my child to spend alone time with a 28-year-old stranger. I don't care if he appears like he's a nice guy who shares candy. No way. No fucking way. No. No way. Pretty sure all you moms out there would agree with me on that. So, David Brooks and Dean Coral, they become close. Brooks later says that um, 
Dean was one of the few people who did not mock him for his glasses. Anyways, um, Brooks comes from a broken home, and he saw Coral as a father figure. He looked up to him. Things progress, and Coral pays Brooks to perform oral sex on him. Now, in December 1970, this, was, this is when things kind of take a turn um, and go in a different direction, when Brooks realizes um, what kind of person Coral is. He walks in on Coral sexually assaulting two teenage boys that he had tied up. So Cor- Coral jumps up and says, hey, I'm just having some fun. So instead of Brooks thinking, what the fucking shit? What is wrong? There had to be something in his brain telling him that that was wrong. But no, he didn't get the hell out of there. He didn't stop him. Because Coral persuades him to stay silent by telling him he'll buy him a car. And he did. Brooks accepted the bribe. Coral bought him a car. So at the time that Brooks came upon Coral raping and then later killing these two teenage boys, Coral had already murdered, and this was known to be his first victim, Jeffrey Conan. He was a student at the University of Texas in Austin. He abducted Conan while he was hitchhiking September 1970, and he later buried his body on High Island Beach. So at this point, things escalate, and Coral offers Brooks $200 for every boy that Brooks will bring him. Initially, Brooks only thought Coral was raping these boys, which still should have been a red flag. But anyways, um, things continued. At some point, Brooks is made aware that this is more than just rape that's going on. And the two start working together in the act of torturing, raping, and killing nearly 30 boys. December 13th, 1970, Brooks lures two boys away from a religious rally and brought them to Coral, who raped and killed them. January 30th, 1971, Coral and Brooks see two boys walking and entice them into their van, took them back to the apartment, raped and killed them. Between March and May of 1971, Coral claims three more victims with Brooks' help. August 1971, they come across someone that Brooks actually knows, Reuben Haney. He was walking home from the movies when he was brought back to Coral's home and strangled to death. Now, it's the winter of 1971, and Brooks lures Elmer Wayne Henley to bring back to Coral. But instead of the typical torture, rape, kill, Coral spares him. The reasons are unknown, but Coral wants to bring Henley in as an accomplice. Coral offers him the same deal that he did to Brooks, $200 for every boy that he can bring him. He told Henley he needed these boys for a slave ring. Henley did not accept at first, but he eventually accepted the offer um, because his family was experiencing some financial trouble. So in early 1972, he joined in. March 24th, 1972. The three see a friend of Henley's, Frank Aguirre. They talked him into coming with them with a promise of alcohol and weed. Coral then cuffed Frank to his torture board. Now, 
let me describe this torture board for you so you have an idea of what I'm talking about. This was a slab of plywood, eight feet long and two feet wide, with holes drilled in each corner. Coral used the handcuffs at the top holes for the victim's hands, and he tied their feet with nylon rope through the bottom holes. So Henley tried to convince Coral to let Frank go. Don't hurt him. Let him go. Coral, of course, did not listen. He killed Frank. Anyway, um, and then he admitted to Henley that there's no slavering. He admitted that he tortured and killed all the boys that Henley's been bringing him. And then he instructed Henley to go bury Frank's body at High Island Beach. And he did. So, Coral would target males. He, he liked them between 13 and 20. And they could be friends and acquaintances of any of the boys um, or Coral or former employees of the candy company. His routine consisted of promises of alcohol and marijuana, the devil's lettuce. Hey, come with me. I've got some booze and some marijuana for you. Let's go party. He would get him back to his place. He would strip them naked, strap him to his torture board in the bedroom, and he would rape him, torture him, and sometimes for days. So it was said that the more he liked you, the longer he would torture you. Now, to give you an idea of just what an absolute sick, fuck, and vile monster this guy was, um, let me tell you a bit of what his tortures would consist of. And um, I'm just going to forewarn you right now, this part is a bit graphic and it's disgusting. So, giving you a heads up, if you want to skip past this um, for the next minute, then this might be a good time to do that. So... Go ahead. Uh, no? Good? You're sticking around? Okay. So not only would he sodomize these boys, he was known to pluck out their pubic hair. In one case, when there was a boy who wouldn't follow his demands, he gnawed off his genitals. When they later found the um, genitals disposed of with some other bodies, it was noted that it was done in one bite. This is disgusting. Um, he would also insert objects into their rectums. And this one's particularly disgusting. Uh, he would insert glass rods into their urethra. Now that's, that's their pee-pee hole, just in case you didn't know what that was. And when the rod was inserted... In their pee-pee hole, the sick bastard would smash it. So this guy is definitely up there. This wicked, disgusting fuck is definitely at the top of my sick fuck list. So he also would use this handcuff trick with some of the boys. Um, so what he would do is he would put the handcuffs on one of his accomplices and like dare them to get out of it. See if he can get out of the handcuffs. So his helper would have a hidden key in their pocket and would be pretending um, like they were trying to escape these handcuffs. They're struggling with them. Oh, and then, um, oh, they all of a sudden they can get out. So then they would kind of dare their other young male guest to attempt to get out of the handcuffs. And when they couldn't, obviously they couldn't, um, 
then they were brought to his torture board in his bedroom. So um, the notorious John Wayne Gacy, also known as the killer clown, admitted to um, admiring Coral's techniques, uh, admired his torture board and his handcuff trick. I guess he used some version of a hand handcuff trick as well um, in his sick games that he did. So anyways, the three of them continue the spree of torture, rape, murder into the summer of 1973. In July of 73, Brooks married his pregnant fiance. So I guess he was taking a break from all this sadistic shit, you know, to be a good father. And Henley became Coral's only accomplice at this time. And he assisted him in three more abductions, and uh, which led to murders. On August 3rd, 1973, Coral killed his last victim. So I guess Brooks needed some money for diapers again at this time, so because he's back in. He's back in with him. Um, so Brooks and Henley abduct a 13-year-old by the name of James Stanton, Jamala. Which he was riding his bike, collecting glass bottles to resell. So just being, a, you know, a good little boy, riding around, collecting glass bottles, make some extra money. So he was, he was kidnapped. He was tortured and raped and strangled before he was buried into, in Coral's boat shed. Now we're into August. August 7th, 1973. Henley is now 17 invited a Timothy Curley to party at Coral's house. On the way to Coral's house, they pick up a friend of Curly's. Her name's Rhonda Williams. Henley felt sorry for her. I guess her dad was a drunk. He attacked her that night, and she was hanging out outside waiting for her father to sober up. So they bring Rhonda along with them over to Coral's house, which, of course, uh, bringing a girl into Coral's house really pissed off Coral. So Coral let them drink it up, smoke it up, and he waited for him to pass out. After they were all unconscious, Coral bound and gagged all three of them. So Henley came to, and Coral brought him into the kitchen. And Henley somehow convinced Coral that he was going to help him torture and kill the other two if he released him. So Coral released him from his restraints. And they dragged Williams and Curly into the bedroom to the torture board. He told Henley to rape and kill Rhonda while he handled Curly. During this moment, something changed in Henley. Don't know exactly. Um, interviews with Rhonda afterwards, you know, there's things that she said to him, you know, are you really going to do this along that lines. So maybe it was something that she said that changed his mind, but he, uh, something in his head just finally said enough is enough. And he then grabbed Coral's gun. The last thing Coral said was, Kill me, Wayne. You won't do it. Henley fired the first shot into Coral's forehead. But this shot did not penetrate his skull. Didn't kill him. Didn't take him down. So Henley shot him again. Hitting him in his left shoulder. And the next shot missed him. And Coral spun around, and Henley shot him three more times, finally killing him. 
So Henley went and freed the other two. Initially, Henley wanted to just leave, but I guess Curly uh, talked him into it, changed his mind. So Henley called 911, and he said that he just killed Coral. Okay, so authorities arrive at the house, and they find three teens sitting outside, and the 33-year-old Dean Coral inside. And I'm going to apologize right now because my dogs could not handle that I was in the studio by myself without them and decided to bust in. And so you might hear uh, some background dog noises, which include a boxer who is snoring um, in the corner. So um, anyways, authorities get there. They find the teen sitting outside. Henley conf confesses to killing Coral in self-defense. That's how that started. Um, he confessed. Um, he, they let him make a phone call to his mom. He tells his mom, Mom, I just killed Dean. Later on down at the police station, he actually um, confesses and broke down. And he told authorities that Coral had been killing boys for the past two and a half years. And to prove this, he led them to find um, multiple bodies. So there's three places that Coral would hide his bodies. He had a boathouse, and Henley brought authorities over to Coral's boathouse, and they found 12 bodies there. They went to Sam Rayburn Lake and found four more bodies, and then there were six bodies at High Island Beach. So total amount of victims is at least 28, one that's not even identified but there is suspected that there was many more. So we really don't know actual number of how many victims there were of the Candyman, but there was at least 28. So arriving at the house, the police find just a fucked up scene, it, just many disturbing things inside this house. They find his torture board. They find sex toys. They find... His floor in the bedroom covered with plastic sheets. They find a knife. And then they check out his van. Now his van, they found a coil of rope. They found a rug stained. They found a wooden crate. Um, some say it was like a casket. I don't know if it was just like a, a square crate or if, there, if it resembled a, a casket. I'm going to call it a crate because... That's really the only thing I could come across. But it had air holes um, drilled into the sides. Also inside this van, there was a, a pegboard wall, and it had rings and hooks attached to it. They also found in the backyard another crate with holes drilled into the side of it, and in that crate, they did find human hair. So Coral is dead. And Henley and Brooks were both sentenced to life in prison. Henley is currently at Mark W. Michael Unit in Anderson County, Texas. And he was convicted of six murder charges and sentenced to six consecutive 99-year terms. Uh, Brooks was at Ramsey Unit near Rocheron, Texas. But Brooks actually died this last year in May of 2020, and he died of COVID. And he was 65 years old. 
there was an interview that was done with Henley at one point, and he made the comment that his only regrets is that Dean isn't here now. He said, my only regret is that Dean isn't here now. So I could tell him what a good job I did killing him. In interviews with Henley also, he says things like he was also a victim of Coral, which I kind of believe he was young and Coral kind of manipulating, took advantage of people. Um, I, I think people can be victims and the aggressors at the same time, the bad guy and a victim. Um, so it's too bad. But at the same time, he still did make decisions to kill at least six people. Is what he admitted to was six people. So, um, and if you watch that show, Mindhunter, um, in the fourth episode, I believe, you actually see there is a clip of them interviewing him. Um, it's not one of the big ones. I mean, that, that show, I don't know if you've watched it. Um, I'm sure you have if you're into this stuff. Um, really good show based on the true story of the FBI profilers and interviewing uh, serial killers to gain knowledge on profiling other criminals. Anyways, there is actually a clip and that is Henley in there. But because the Candyman is not really a well-known serial murder situation, then you might have kind of dismissed it and not realized who it was. So anyways, again, I apologize. The dogs are still laying next to me and still making funny noises. Very sorry about that. Um, but anyways, Henley is up for parole again in 2025. And he says he thinks he's reformed. He thinks he can function in society. Um, so who knows? In a few years, I guess we'll see. But he's always been denied every time. So anyways, um, that is the story of Dean Coral, the Candyman, and his two helpers. And uh, pretty interesting. Interesting that it's not more well-known than it is. I think there's a few things you can take, uh, take away from there. Uh, number one being, if you're a parent, God, don't... If you have a daughter or a son, it doesn't matter. I think people are very protective of their daughters. Don't let your daughter out. Watch who your daughter's around, where they're going, et cetera, et cetera. But you got to be careful of boys too. If you have a son, it's not just the girls that you have to worry about getting sexually assaulted or harmed. Watch out for your boys too, because this is what happens. You know, Henley said it was really easy to pick up these boys because they would just roll up on them and, hey, do you want to come party? We have some weed. We have some alcohol. And it was really easy to get them, he said. So please, just teach your kids to be really careful out there because there's some sick fucks like these guys out there who go out there looking for children that are gullible or even not gullible. Like, who knows? Anyways, that is it. That wraps it up. Thank you for listening. Glad to have you here. And until next week, keep it dark, my friends. Bye.